here in 1 Corinthians, uh, Pastor and Larry has been preaching through the first few chapters here, and there's been a common thing that has kept coming up, and that is division. It's an issue at Corinth, and they've been dealing with it for off and on in these first four chapters. And so in a general sense, these first four chapters can be talking about division. Um, next week, or sorry, not next week, but when Pastor gets into chapter five, that's when he gets into like sin and like really heavy topics. So yeah, fun. Um, and, uh, but for now, we're still talking a little bit about division and what that means. Uh, in regards uh, for us this morning. Um, this is not an easy topic to talk about, especially within our church. Let me tell you something. When a church is divisive over stuff they shouldn't be divisive over, it's kind of easy to preach about division. <laughs> but when a church is unified and loving and passionate and authentic, it's really hard to be like, don't be divisive, but you're not being. So good, go you, but don't be arrogant about it. <laughs> it's like this like, awkward way of talking about uh, division when uh, being part of, of Crosspoint, uh, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but once again, just for some background so we don't lose track of where we're at con contextually, is that the city of Corinth was wealthy. Lots of money. Um, they were knowledgeable in a worldly sense. They know all these things. They know about different religions and, and science and philosophy. Like, you know, we're cool. Um, and uh, they're diverse in, in their beliefs and, 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 um, and culturally. But Paul had helped establish this church at Corinth. And, and he was there for like 18 months and he literally saw the church at Corinth, like, birth. Like, he saw this infant church and was able to win people to Christ and disciple people and see them grow and pour into leaders. And he saw this amazing thing happen. He was a church planter. He saw this amazing thing happen with this church at Corinth. Um, but a lot had changed since Paul had left. And not for the better. Um, the church at Corinth had a problem. As we've already mentioned, it had a division problem. Now, this is something that's very important. I need to add this clarity of what I'm saying so you don't think I'm saying something else. So I'm going to ask you questions, and please respond in the room. Should Christians divide with self-proclaiming Christians that are preaching a false gospel? Yes, we should divide with churches that are preaching a false gospel. Should Christians divide with self-proclaiming Christians that preach false doctrine? Yes, we should divide with those that are preaching false doctrine. Should we divide with self-proclaiming Christians who deny the foundational doctrines of Christianity? Yes, yes to all of these things. We divide over things that really matter, the things that are here. Things that change Christianity. Things that change the Bible. But that's not what they were dividing over. <laughs> so anytime I talk about not dividing, I'm not talking about the things that we should divide over. <laughs> I love how in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I, <laughs> Paul kind of like gives away who let him know. <laughs> like, I can see them reading the letter at church. We got a letter from Paul and Chloe! The people at Chloe's house told on us. <laughs> it says, It's been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. You just put it out there. Like, Chloe's house told. The Bible study at Chloe's house. 
they let me know what was going on. They let me know that you guys are dividing over stuff you shouldn't be dividing over. That you have a group over here that's like, we like Apollo, so we're not going to hang out with people that like Paul. We like Cephas, so we're not going to hang out with people that like these other leaders over here. We're not going to talk to them because we're this, we're this kind over here. Not only that, but there was leaders rising up in their midst that were trying to make their own popularity or name for themselves. And like, well, our small group's better than your small group because we love Jesus more because we don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. It was a slow one, but she caught on. That was great. Sadly enough, the, probably the saddest way of putting it is in 1 Corinthians 11 when in regards to the Lord's Supper, which we have talked about before. Um, and often when we have communion together, we mention 1 Corinthians 11. And it says in verse 17, Now this, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine? So the church, when we gather together, whether that's a large Sunday gathering like we have today, or whether that's in a small setting in a home or in a small group here in the building or wherever it's at, what if when we gathered together, it was to our detriment and not to our health? That's devastating to think that when we gather, it actually hurts one another. It actually just shows the division instead of it actually building each other up. Instead of when we come together to gather, once again, any type of context of the church gathering, but encouraging one another, lifting one another, praying over one another, teaching each other the truths of God's word, and pointing each other to Jesus. But instead, like, well, no, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm not with your group, and I'm with... And that would just be so, so exhausting, and that would make the church so unhealthy and so divided. And he's saying that's what's happening. When you come together... When you assemble, it makes things worse. And that's a devastating, devastating thought. He says, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He's saying, I can see who the authentic Jesus-loving people are and those that are playing games and dividing. Because they all divide into their cliques, and all that's left is those that aren't in one. So once again, for clarity, they were dividing over their favorite and least favorite leaders throughout Christendom. We like this guy, but not that guy. And if you like him, I don't like you. Divisions over their favorite local leadership. I like Pastor Joel, but Pastor Caleb's annoying. <laughs> he's using those weird voices while he's preaching. Divisions over social status. Oh, they're poor. This is middle class over here. You can't sit next to me. I'm not going to give you food. Why would I share my food with you? You're poor. That's your own fault. And dividing over social status or somewhat over where they at in society. All these divisions, all these divisions that are talked about and Paul is teaching against are based in preferences Pride and prejudice, not the book or the movie, just those three things, pride and prejudice. Some, some of you got that. All right, none of their divisions were based in absolute theological truth. That's what's important here to understand. They weren't dividing over truth, they were dividing over preference. 
they were dividing over secondary things that don't change Christianity or the others. Find, finding stuff, right? They had nothing better to do. So listen carefully to this. It's okay to disagree about preferences. It's okay. Some of you are Cardinal fans. I forgive you. <laughs> it's okay to disagree about preferences, but we ought not to divide over them. For those that don't know, me, Pastor Larry, Pastor Joel, we actually disagree on some stuff. We have some different preferences. We disagree on some secondary issues. But what ought never to happen is for, well, you know, Pastor Larry does things kind of this way, so I'm just going to, like, forget what Pastor Joel says and kind of hang out with him and, and talk about what I don't like about what Joel thinks on that thing. I'm going to be this kind of one in the church. And then, and then in Joel's group, it's like, Larry, Larry says this stuff, and I don't like that, so I'm going to be in your group. And, and then all the leaders are like, yeah, we're going to make our groups, like, you know, and then the other small groups get involved. Well, our group doesn't do that, and we're going to be like, and it just, no, there's going to be some differences in preferences and some things but those ought not to be reasons for division and discord. And once again, this is not true for Crosspoint, and it has not been for true for Crosspoint. And what's great about preaching a sermon like this, I guess, is that it's better to preach a sermon to a church that's unified than to preach one that's already divided. So you can see those warning flags. It's okay to disagree about preferences, but we ought not to divide over them. We ought not to push people away because of them. We ought to let Scripture be our guide and not our emotions and extra-biblical traditions. In light of this, Paul begins this chapter by telling the Corinthians about what is the standard that they should be held to. Because they, they were holding these standards for Paul and Apollos and Cephas that were just extra-biblical opinions. Like, you know, um, we like Apollos' hair better. Paul doesn't have any, so we like this guy. I don't know if that's true. Like all the depictions I see of Paul, he's always bald, but you know, whatever. Whatever it is, they're, 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 the, reason, the things that they're nitpicking about and dividing over are not valid. So Paul gives them some valid reasons of what, how they should be held accountable, what they should actually hold them accountable to. And he starts out in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, he's saying, you know, as apostles and teachers and, and the elders uh, in, in the church and as servants of Jesus, we have the responsibility of preaching and teaching the revelation of God consistently and accurately. Hold us accountable to that high standard. So while you're over here dividing over, we like this guy, we like this one, we like this. He's like, well, what matters is, is their theology sound? Are they consistently and accurately preaching the truth? He gives a second standard in verse 2 where he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 
to be faithful, to be trustworthy. In other words, they not only consistently and accurately declare the word of God, but they live out what they are declaring. They're being examples of it. So here's the standard. It's not about this person's style versus this style or the way that their ministry functions versus the way that their ministry functions or these other things that you're being divided about in these secondary issues. No, no. Are they preaching the word of God truthfully, consistently, and are they living out their lives in a way that represents those beliefs? Are they living in a way that's consistent with what they're teaching? He's he's like, hold us accountable to that. We're not good apostles, teachers, leaders, if we're not accurately proclaiming the truth of God, and if we're not being examples of it. So he opens themselves up for that. Yes, Hold us accountable to these two things. But that's not what they were dividing over. He's reminding them, this is something to divide over. What you guys are talking about isn't. But here, let me tell you what the standard should be. And they did not hold that standard very well. Because as we see in, this, in the second Corinthians, they actually let some really bad teachers into their midst. Because they had college certificates. He went to, he, he has this, he's been certified by a philosopher so-and-so, and he's really cool, and I like the way he talks. Like, yeah, but he's a heretic. <laughs> but that's a different letter for a different time. <laughs> These are the two standards that are given by Paul for rightly holding him and other leaders accountable. Are they teaching sound theology? Are they living a life that demonstrates they actually believe what they teach. He goes on, verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. It seems that Paul is saying here, as far as he knew in and of himself, He was authentically worshiping and serving Jesus, was not hiding secret sins from his fellow believers, but regardless of what he thought of himself, negative or positive, or what anyone at Corinth thought of him, negative or positive, or anyone else in the whole world thought of him, negative or positive, his ultimate judge was God. God is the one he is ultimately accountable to. And Paul's like, that's way more scary to me than you being like, we don't like the fact that you you talk that way. <laughs> and he's like, but God's holding me accountable to what I'm teaching. You're holding me accountable to, to fluff and secondary and, and preference. And God's going to hold me accountable to whether I'm declaring Jesus correctly or not. So while you're all talking about this, I'm like, before God, like, <laughs> even, what I, if, even if I think I'm good, it doesn't matter. What matters is, what does God think of me and what am I teaching? Now, I want to make sure I didn't get misunderstood there. This does not mean that leaders are not to be held accountable. He just talked about it. He said, you ought to account of us. Here's how you you keep us accountable. There's supposed to be accountability. This does not mean that church discipline is not necessary. We'll see in 1 Corinthians, church discipline is necessary. But it does mean, it does mean that while the Corinthians are being petty, Paul recognizes that he and the Corinthians had a judge who's not petty but takes legitimate matters very seriously. So while Paul does not care about their pettiness, Paul cares a great deal about what God thinks. Verse 5. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. You see, ultimately, they were making up stuff about Paul um, so they could ignore what he had to say. So they could blow him off. Um, at the same time, many of them were living in open sin. It was arrogant of them to judge someone falsely while not addressing their own sin. He reminds them that he and the church of Corinth would both stand before God. That everything would be open before God. God will know Paul's intentions of the heart as much as he will know the hearts of the Corinthians. They're like, hey, I already know what's going on. Chloe told me everything. And you're over here like making all these judgment calls. And you're not recognizing what's going on in your own heart and in your own church. A lot of bad. But we're both going to stand before God. So before you start making false accusations about me, you better see what's going on at Corinth and in your own hearts. We're both going to stand before God. And by God's grace, those that are believers, they'll be glorified together and rewarded together. In other words, why try so hard to create this unnecessary and unwarranted division and separation when we'll be worshiping God together in eternity? Now, as mentioned before, there are things that we need to separate over, but not these things. And I think... I don't think it's possible to be awkward in the new heaven and new earth. But if it were possible, I feel like some people are going to feel awkward if they could. Wait, they made it? They did things at their church a little differently than ours. I didn't think they were going to make it. Or American Christianity. Why isn't everybody speaking English? My Bible says that God's going to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we get awkward about that. We shouldn't be separating over silly, petty, secondary things. Verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. So once again, there, there appears to be some local leaders that are like, I'm better than him, my group's better than him. And... But Paul gives himself and Apollos as examples. He's like, everything I've told you, that applies to us too. So in other words, Paul's saying, you can look at our ministry and how we've been living lives. I haven't been saying I'm way cooler than Apollos because I had a Damascus Road experience. And Apollos isn't over here saying, but I didn't kill nobody. Right? That's not going on. It's not that in a human sense that they couldn't throw mud at each other. They probably could. They probably knew all the ins and outs of each other and what they had done wrong in their previous lives. And like all, they could, but there was no point in that. No reason for that. Like, use us as an example to you. Look, look at how different the two of us are, and we're friends. We're united in the gospel. All the stuff you're fighting about, huh, 
we have stuff that we can split over that's way crazier than the stuff that you guys are dividing over. They were examples. They did not view each other as competition, but rather as fellow ministers of the gospel that must one day give an account to God as stewards of the gospel. While they had been given a huge responsibility and a high accountability, they were not more important or more valuable than any of the other ministers of the gospel. And while Paul was given a distinct and important role as an apostle, the church at Corinth as ministers of the gospel were equally valuable and important. So, so what he's saying here is lay aside your arrogance and authentically pursue Christ together in unity. Now, we're just going to get through these last two verses here uh, of the chapter. Verse 7, verse 8, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. The first thing that I had said this morning that I really want you guys to remember is it's okay to have different preferences. It's not okay to divide over them. This is the second thing I'd really love for you guys to take away. Verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? A lot of didsts and hadsts in there, so let me <laughs> say it again. If thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 8. Now you're full. Now you're rich. He's being sarcastic to them. You've reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. What he's telling the church at Corinth is you've got plenty of knowledge. You've been blessed with a diversity of spiritual gifts. But you forgot where it came from. What they had was given to them by God. And God used Paul in their lives in a very personal and intricate way. And they're acting like, ah, we did this. We're wise. We're knowledgeable. We're wealthy without praising God from whom all blessings flow. Without recognizing who Paul was in their lives. He's saying, why in the world are you acting like this wasn't given to you when it was given to you? It was all used, honestly, as a distraction, the focus on unimportant things, and to ignore the sin in their own lives. I love this joke with the whole reigning as kings. They're acting as if they'd made it, as if they were already glorified, right? So it's like, as believers, we're being transformed, we're being changed into the image of Jesus, and being transformed, and one day we'll be glorified. And he kind of jokes with them, saying, you're acting like you're already there. You've already finished your course. You're already, like, you're in the kingdom. You're glorified. Like, you got nothing else to learn. You got nothing else to repent of. You got nothing else to, to, to develop and grow in. No, you've made it. You're reigning this. I wish that was true. 
Because if that was true, that means I'd be there too. <laughs> Paul's saying, if, if you're already there, you're already in your glorified bodies, you're already in the kingdom, man, like, I, I'd be there too. But that's not the case. You guys are divided and living in sin. But you act like you've done this. May that never be the case for Crosspoint, whether it's tomorrow or 20 years from now, that one day we think, man, we've made it. This is it. We got it all figured out. We don't have to learn anything. We don't have to ever repent of anything. We've made it. May we never become so arrogant as Corinth did. May we understand that God is still working on us and transforming us. It's an ongoing journey. May we not become arrogant in that. They were so arrogant, apparently, in their status, it's like they all had, uh, all they had left to do is be petty, choose which teachers they liked to listen to based on their preaching ministry style, or choose which people to spend time with based on their status, and like just silly, silly stuff. Um, and that's, once again, that's what makes this sermon difficult because I don't think this is true for Crosspoint. I don't think we divide over silly stuff. I'm not saying we haven't had ever dis any disagreements or had any discussions on things. But overall, I say we have this unity and love and authentic worship towards Jesus with you guys. I, I mentioned in the first service as well that um, this is either the fifth or sixth church I've been a part of. I say five or six, not because I don't know, because I'm not sure if I should count one. <laughs> um, because I was like three or something. Um, <laughs> so I can't really give you any information on that. Um, but uh, so that's why I say five or six. And I don't mean this as a negative thing on any of the churches I've been a part of. But I mean this to, the, the, to commend you guys and to commend the church. And I'm not saying this from, from a pastoral perspective. I'm saying this as being part of the body. Is that I've never been a part of a church that has been more loving, more caring, more loving one another, caring authentically. Not just we're supposed to do it. Like, no, actually caring and pouring into each other and into the community. I'm not saying this. I don't want us to get big heads like, yep, that's not, like, that's not why I say that. I say that. That's why preaching sermons on division is like, well, good. We can give warning flags. But I'm so thankful that hasn't been the case for Crosspoint. And may it never be. And may we see those warning flags when we start dividing over things we shouldn't be dividing over. And being Let's just keep pouring into each other, loving each other, loving people in the community, and keeping laser focused on Christ. That being said, I'm afraid in a lot of Christianity, and especially in the West and American Christianity, while we should be pursuing Christ and sharing Jesus, a lot of times in Christianity we become arrogant. And the best way I can put it is this, and we're done. There are villages around the world that have no gospel message. And if we're stewards of the gospel, how are we doing? We're too busy, like, tweeting about, did you hear what this pastor said? Like, some villages don't have a pastor. As we'll see later in this chapter, Paul's like, you might have 10,000 teachers, but you don't have 10,000 people that love you like I do. 
villages that have no pastors, no churches, and in some cases, no Bible. In America, we have a plethora of all these things. And that's why it can be so easy to become arrogant. And sometimes we argue and complain or comment on preferences like, I like a different style of preaching better, so I'm going to tune out this sermon. Now, I realize there's some better speakers than others, and I'm sorry you've had to put up with me. Um, there is... There, there's been good, there's been bad speakers. But whether someone's a good speaker or not has no bearing on whether or not what they say is true and valuable or not. So we shouldn't divide over that. We shouldn't tune out people because of that. Or some people might say things like, I like this style of church service, so I'm going to complain or find a church that has a different style that I like now, everyone has preferences in regards to certain extra-biblical church traditions or musical styles, and that's okay, but it has no bearing on whether or not the church is glorifying God, making disciples, and serving others. If the church is not preaching sound theology, that's a problem. I've talked with, with some people like, you know, the whole service, it was like an hour of singing in a five-minute sermon, like every Sunday. Okay, I want some teaching. I want some scripture. I understand that. That's not a style problem. That's like not preaching problem. Like, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> Got to be in the word. And I could go on and on. And I, I thought of several different things I could share of stuff that we divide or prefer. But I'm not even going to go down the list because I don't want to give you guys ideas. <laughs> ideas of stuff. Wait, we don't divide over that? <laughs> I don't want to give you guys ideas. <laughs> But once again, there are things to divide over, right? There's, there's things to leave a church over, as hard as that should be. But I like how one pastor put it, like, leaving a church should never be an easy decision. It shouldn't be a flippant decision. But we should divide over bad theology. We should divide over shallow theology. And we should divide over the condoning of sin. But don't leave or be divisive over preferences. Let's not. So with that in mind, we ought to praise God for the blessings that he's blessed us with. Realize that we're just stewards of what he's given to us. And we need to partner with gospel preaching, Bible-believing, doctrinally sound churches in the Quad Cities and throughout the world. And our preferences and secondary issues should not be a deciding factor. Those things shouldn't get in the way. One of the first things that, that we did in, in looking to plant in Rock Island is I wanted to meet up with pastors and churches that are already preaching the gospel and making disciples. Because I'm not going to go into Rock Island and be like, we're better than those people. I'm Apollos. What you got? Like, <laughs> it's not a competition. It's not a competition. We need to partner together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of kingdom of God. He's going to do a great work here in the Quad Cities, around the United States, and around the world. And I'm excited to partner with you guys, and I'm excited to see what God does as God continues to partner together churches and Christians around the world to declare the good news.